Before we get started, I want to tell you about a new company that's supporting the High Adventure podcast. We all get aches and pains, and those of us in high-energy activities could sometimes use some relief. Well, that relief is here in the form of CBD products and NX Empire. NX Empire has the widest array of products available today, from oils and sprays and gummies to energy and focus capsules. NX Empire also has bath bombs, skincare products, and cosmetics. And so your best friends are not left out, NX Empire has a line of pet tinctures and treats. NX Empire is committed to nutritional quality and uncompromising sourcing standards. The CBD products are all lab-tested to ensure quality and potency, and NX Empire products are all natural, and each product that ships from the warehouse maintains a lab certificate of analysis. So do yourself and the High Adventure podcast a favor and go to nxempire.com and enter the code HIGHADVENTURE at checkout and save 15% on all your products. Sam has got himself in deep. A dead ex-wife, a missing piece of art, an angry mobster, and an attractive but untrusting pilot. Lifting off in a hail of bullets from a dirty airstrip behind a voodoo lounge, Sam and Lenny land in a small Mexican village where Lenny's plane is seized and the earth continues to quake. My name is Jeff Argin, and this is the High Adventure Podcast. Hello and welcome to the High Adventure Podcast, where we tell stories of the high and wild. Season 1 was all about the 1977 Yosemite pot plane crash, and Season 2 told the story of Maurice Wilson's 1934 journey to learn to fly and to take that plane to the slopes of Mount Everest and crash on the upper slopes and walk to the top. Believe me, it was a little more complicated than that. In Season 3, we're mixing things up a bit. We've released two episodes of a little thing we call Trip Reports, where we read the first-hand accounts of adventures by both famous and not-so-famous adventurers that prowl the world looking for a challenge. We're also telling the story of Sam Candle, an insurance investigator and protagonist of my screenplay Devil's Domain. I encourage you to go back and listen to episodes 1 and 2 to get up to speed on this story. I'd like to tell you about a few things right now that are happening that we're really excited about. First, we dropped our first audiobook. It's called Everest Alone, Maurice Wilson's 1934 Journey to Be the First to Stand on the Summit. If that story sounds familiar, it should. We've gone back into the episodes of Season 2 and added a new foreword and an epilogue and edited and remastered the episodes for an audiobook presentation. The episodes are broken into chapters and the story runs about five hours long. The cost of the new audiobook is five bucks. That's it less than a cup of specialty coffee that will give you maybe 10 minutes of enjoyment. We're giving you over five hours of content for five bucks. You can order your digital download from our website, accidentalproductions.net. At the top of the homepage, you'll find the book title link that uh, takes you straight to the store. For those of you interested in our film, Assault on El Capitan, we have a limited number of DVDs available. The DVD version has over 90 minutes of added content, including a short film on Ammon's base jumping accident and an extended interviews with the entire cast of Assault on El Capitan. The next little thing we're asking this season is for you to help us out a little bit and help us continue to bring you these stories. If you enjoy an episode, please go to our website, accidentalproductions.net, 
and hit the donate button. We're asking for a dollar an episode. That's all. If we give you any break in your day or any level of entertainment, it would mean a lot to us and, frankly, our monthly expenses if you gave us a buck. We're trying not to load up the podcast with advertising, so anything you drop on us will directly help us produce these episodes. In the last couple of years, we've all witnessed podcasting explode. I get a lot of questions about how to start a podcast and how to manage the media and the workflow of an ongoing show. Well, here's the tip of the day. It's Blueberry.com. Blueberry is spelled B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. And it's the premier podcasting media host. I've tried others, but I've always come back to Blueberry. Here's the thing. To get a podcast out, you have to produce it, you have to upload it, and you have to try to get it on all the podcast platforms out there in the world. Blueberry makes it simple. They give you a WordPress website free that integrates your account seamlessly. You press a couple buttons on the screen and your show is linked to the website and sent to all the podcast platforms. That's it. All of them. And again, tech support is top notch. They have experts that talk you through any question you may have. Blueberry also hosts webinars and their own podcast on how to produce your podcast. There's no contracts. You can cancel any time. You can also easily move your show over to Blueberry from another host. If I get asked about how to start a podcast these days, my first piece of advice is to get a Blueberry account. And you're a couple steps away from being heard worldwide. As always, you can follow us on social media at thehighadventurepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at High Adventure Podcast, on Facebook at The High Adventure Podcast, and on Instagram at High Adventure Podcast. We, as always, post these episodes on both our YouTube and Vimeo channels, and both these channels are found under our company name of Accidental Productions. And now, Devil's Domain, an original screenplay, part three. Inside a moving car at sunrise, Diego drives Sam and Lenny on a narrow dirt road through the jungle. Diego says, I graduated from Nebraska with a master's in agriculture. After college, my father wanted me to come home and work on the family farm, so I did. Next year, we'll sell to an American corporation and we'll never have to work again. How about you, Lenny? Says Sam. Any family? Lenny says, I have an adopted brother. My father couldn't live with just having a daughter. Diego says, you get along? Lenny replies, couldn't live up to my father's idea of what a daughter should be, so I went off to conquer the world on my own. Sam says, how did you learn to fly? Alaska, Lenny says. I started doing mail drops to hermits and then fishing charters for drunks. Learned to fly and fight on the job. Came to the lower 48 and started doing subcontract work for the big express companies. A little flying, a little driving, whatever it takes to pay the bills. Sam says, you travel in some fast company just to pay the bills. How, how do you know Austin? Lenny says, it's my godfather. What about you? Nothing so dramatic, says Sam. My dad was a college professor. My mom was a travel agent. Dropped out of college to climb full time. I did that until I got married. Lenny says, The dead ex-wife? Yep, says Sam. Did you do it? No, 
They found your blood at the scene, said Diego. Ah, jeez. You have to care about somebody to kill them. Either love them or hate them. Some kind of emotion. But between us, there was nothing. There was nothing left. Sam looks up at the sun and pulls out his compass. We close? Yeah, says Diego. Diego's car is traveling too fast. Flying around a blind turn, Diego swerves to miss the curandero sitting in the middle of the road. He has three dolls, two males and one female. One of the male dolls is on fire. Inside the car, Diego tries to miss the curandero. Whoa, says Diego. The car jumps through as it hits something and then slides to a stop at the side of the road. Sam says, what the fuck was that? Lenny says, a man. Not a man, says Diego. A curandero. They climb out and run back to where they hit the curandero. There's no one there. Where is he? Says Lenny. Skid marks start here, said Diego. I turned here. Sam says, what's a curandero? Diego says, you'd call him medicine man, witch, prophet, priest. Austin calls his guy a prince. Lenny says, Grigri? Diego nods. Voodoo, says Sam. Religion, says Diego. The curandero's like a high priest. Well, where is he then, says Sam. Diego says, I don't think he was ever here. What, says Sam? His spirit was here, says Diego. His spirit? We hit something. Lenny says, this isn't good. Diego says, his energy, his likeness. He showed himself to have power. Sam says, energy, come on. I got a little power myself. Let's go. Diego says, he's letting us know that he knows we're here. This land is theirs. Lenny says, this isn't good. So, says Sam. I think he was warning us, says Diego. We almost crashed. Almost, said Diego. Next time, maybe not so lucky. He's trying to get us to turn back. Lenny says, what'll make him change his mind? Ah, oh, come on, says Sam. Diego, a gesture, a deed, an act of compassion. Sam says, let's get out of here. Lenny says, wait, I've seen it in Alaska, down south, and in the Appalachians. We can turn our back on this, but we'll have to make it right. Make it right? How? Throw a virgin in the volcano? Looking at Lenny, no offense, but have you met one of those lately? If you want to go back, go. Turning to Diego, he says, I paid you to guide. Diego says, this could be a mistake. Lenny says, this is a mistake. Wait a minute, you got paid? The earth trembles with another quake. Sam looks at Lenny as they climb into the car and continue. On the patio of a mansion in the morning, Walston is eating his breakfast on the patio overlooking his pool and gardens. Secretary Wells comes out of the house and joins him. Walston says, Ah, Mr. Secretary, I trust you slept well? A beautiful young woman walks by Secretary Wells, running her fingers through his hair on her way to the pool. Walston continues, Or not. Secretary Wells says, She's incredible, Walston. Walston says, 
a beautiful rare gem sculpted from a rough stone. She wants nothing but to sparkle and please. Speaking of gems, what have we learned from Washington? Wells says, I'm doing everything I can, but it takes time. That's a nice line to tell your mobster friends, but I want to know now. Or our little gem in the pool could lose her luster and decide she'd like to, I don't know, go public with her desire to marry the man she's been having an affair with? The married cabinet member she's been fucking? Wells says, you can't do that. Walston says, oh, sure I can. Maybe she would just tell the truth about herself as well. What do you mean? Surgery that made her look the woman that he always wanted to be. That's not true. Well, let your wife and children decide, along with the public, of course. Wells says, if you do this, Walston, you'll never get control of Diablo Grande. And I'll see to it that you never get controlled of Watla. Walston says, I don't care about Diablo Grande. You listen to me. I'll get Huatla, and you're going to give it to me. You get your fat, corrupt ass back to Washington and get the Commerce Department to seal that area and stop all activity in that region. Wells says, I thought you wanted it. Walston replies, I do. I want it to be left alone. An influx of product will flood the international market and drive the prices into the ground. We have to keep control of the inventory. Do you realize that right now, Rainier owns 95% of the worldwide diamond business? When you bought your lovely but naive Mrs. Wells an engagement ring worth the equivalent of two months' salary, it was because Rainier told you how much you should spend. We invented the diamond business. They're as common as sand, and if I don't get a hold of Watla, they'll be just as worthless. Let's talk realistically. Do you really want the general public to learn that the precious diamond that grandmother passed down is worthless? The stock market will fail. The economy of several nations will be destroyed. And all because you did nothing. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm headed back to Washington tomorrow. Walston says, you'll go today. There's a car waiting to take you to my jet. I want to hear something positive this week. And what about Rossellini? I hear he has people working. Mr. Samuel Candle. Yes, we'll take care of Mr. Candle. Like you took care of Carlo, says Wells. Walston says, we won't miss again. Either one of you. In the jungle at sunset, Diego leads Lenny and Sam through the thick underbrush. Do you have any idea? Are we close, said Sam. Lenny says, he knows. Sam says, how do you know he knows? Lenny says, he knows. Sam and Lenny lose sight of Diego, and when they come through a thicket, he's gone. Sam says, where is he? Lenny says, Diego! Sam repeating, Diego! Diego! Sam takes a few steps further, slips and falls. His body disappears into the ground. But there he is, hanging by the vines on the ground holding on for his life. Help me, says Sam. Lenny grabs him by the back of the shirt, and they struggle until he's back on his feet. What happened, said Lenny. What, what is that? Sam says, I think we found it. Lenny said, where's Diego? 
She desperately moves the vegetation to reveal a large hole. Sam pointing. There. Calling down. Diego! To Lenny. I'm going down. Sam uncoils a rope from his pack and ties it to a tree and repels into the hole. The hole becomes a huge room. Light filters in from the opening above. Repelling into the cave, Sam sees something big but can't quite make it out. As he gets closer, he sees it's a small plane, and it's dangling in the middle of the cave, suspended by vines that are wrapped around the tail section. Diego is draped over the wing, lifeless. Sam calls out, Diego? Diego's strained. Sam? Sam says, Can you move? Diego's breathing hard. Yes. I think I'm okay. I think we found it. Sam says, Can you hang on? Yeah. Go check it out. Repelling further down, Sam swings alongside the inverted plane. Two dead men are revealed. One hangs from the windshield of the cockpit. The other hangs 15 feet below from a parachute caught on the seat of the cockpit. A large case sits on the dashboard. Sam carefully swings into the open door. The plane shifts, freezing him for a second. Diego says, Sam. I think we're losing it. Sam begins to pry open the case. As he's about to lift the lid, the plane shifts and starts to fall. Sam swings away from the cockpit just as the plane breaks loose. He tries to save Diego, but the plane falls into the darkness. It seems to fall forever before a crash is heard and a fireball shoots up from the darkness. Sam swings to a rock wall, protecting himself from the flames, using a ledge and a hole in the side of the cave. In Secretary Wells's Washington office, Wells sits at a conference table with a group of people. Secretary Wells. Well, Davis, that's it. I have dinner plans. Davis says, that's all I have, Mr. Secretary. Secretary Wells. Good. As he stands up. Oh, there, there's one more thing. I want you to set up a meeting with Jose Gonzalez, the Mexican Minister of Interior. Mexican Interior Minister Gonzalez? That's what I said, says Wells. For what reason, says Davis. Wells says, excuse me? Davis says, an agenda. Would you like me to set an agenda? Oh, no, said Wells. Tell him I'll be down in a week or so. I'd like to stop in and say hello. It's a social thing. In the jungle, it's night. Lenny and Sam are sitting around a campfire. Sam says, I'm not leaving him. Lenny says, he's gone. He's dead. I gotta get him, says Sam. Is this one of your mountain climber things? Don't come home without the bodies? Sam says, something like that. I'll get him and we'll get out of here. Lenny says, what about Diablo Grande? Sam says, it's there. Where, says Lenny. In the plane, says Sam. Well, as long as we're here, says Lenny. Sam says, there's no weir. There's no us. It's over. No, says Lenny. You owe me money. You go back to the States now, they're going to give you the needle for killing your wife. I need money. You want to live. All that adds up to no choice. Sam says, any idea what it's like down there? Lenny says, yes, no, maybe, doesn't matter. What can happen? 
You're Mr. Adventure, right? Climb the highest mountain, swim the deepest river, and all that shit? Sam says, give me your phone. Lenny says, local call? No, says Sam. Lenny hands Sam her cell phone. Inside Oscar's house, it's night. Oscar's asleep in a chair, a bowl of popcorn in his lap. On the TV, an infomercial for a new kind of mop is repeating itself. His phone rings and he's startled. He jumps, spilling the popcorn everywhere. He picks up the phone from the table next to him. Hello? Sam? Where are you? Sam, the cops are pushing hard. Reynolds says you're the man. Mexico? No, I haven't seen him. I guess I could. Sure, I, I can find him. Okay, hang on. Oscar grabs a pen and paper from next to an already packed suitcase and starts to write. Outside the cave, it's sunrise. Standing at the edge of the cave, Sam and Lenny have rigged ropes to descend deep inside the cave. Sam's demonstrating. Okay, you just lean back and let your weight take you down. Hang on and let the rope through your hands slowly. Sam goes over the edge and disappears. Lenny follows. It's daytime in the police station. The shooter has a cup of coffee, and he looks as though he owns the place. Behind a desk is the captain. The captain asks, You stopped the plane? The shooter responds, Yeah, I want him found. The captain says, We're doing all we can. The shooter says, Where's that kid? The one that knows the Huatla area. The captain says, Diego? He's gone. Hired out. Shooter says, by who? Captain shrugs. I need ten men and someone who knows the Huatla area. Captain says, ten men? That's a lot of men. I have a responsibility to my town. Shooter pulls out a wad of cash. You have a responsibility to Rainier. Now, he's prepared to offer a bonus beyond what he's already contributed. Captain says, what are you asking? Shooter says, I'm not asking. You'll give me ten of your best men. Men who understand the value of their silence when the job is done. Captain says, Watla's a sacred place. My men are very superstitious. Shooter says, Superstitious. Captain says, The result of poverty. The shooter pulls out the money. Captain takes the money. Inside the cave, Sam and Lenny look minuscule against the massive rock walls as they slide down the seemingly endless rope. Light filters through the opening, thousands of feet above them. Sam stops at a small ledge in the wall, and the opening to a small alcove in the cave wall. He's high above the cavern floor, which they still haven't seen. Sam says, Give me your hand. Lenny reaches out. Here we go. He pulls her into the alcove. We'll take a break here. Lenny says, How much further? Sam says, Maybe a thousand feet. Who, who knows? Lenny, looking over the edge. Shit. You've been in caves before, right? Sam says, a few times. Florida, Kentucky, but never anything like this. What makes you do it, says Lenny. What makes you want to fly around Alaska with a bunch of drunken fishermen? I don't know. Exactly, says Sam. Lenny says, you miss her? Sam says, what? Your ex-wife, do you miss her? No. I mean, I'm not glad she's dead, but 
We barely spoke. You hated her. Not really. You know, when, when she got mad, I mean, really pissed. She used to wrinkle her nose, and it looked like, she looked like a little, forget it. What happened, said Lenny. Found her in bed with another man. So? So what was I supposed to do, said Sam. What had you done? Um, I stayed too long, or maybe it was that I stayed away too much. Then you left for good, said Lenny. Yeah, said Sam. Lenny looks up at the opening. Rain drops. Lenny says, It's raining. Oh, it feels so good. Suddenly there's a loud roar like a jet engine. Lenny continues, Another earthquake? Sam says, Get back! And as he looks up, the water begins to flow harder. Sam. Shit. Lenny. What? When it rains, an opening in a cave is like a giant drain. Water from miles around pour into any opening it can find. It's like a flash flood. How long will it last? No way to know. Water roars down through the cave opening. From the small ledge, it's like being behind a raging waterfall. Sam hustles Lenny to the back of the small alcove. There are several offshoot tunnels leading out into the cave. Water starts to trickle down one of the passages. We gotta get out of here, Sam says. What? How? This way, Sam pushes Lenny down one of the small tunnels. A raging flash flood rips through the tunnel behind them, washing them down an endless water slide. Both are unconscious as they pop from an opening deep in the cave. They land on a small beach next to a large underground lake. In the daytime, inside the mansion library, Carlos sits behind a large desk. Walston Rainier, accompanied by his bodyguard, sits across from Carlo. Anthony, wearing a shoulder holster, sits at the back of the room. Walston says, This doesn't make sense, Carlo. We're after the same thing. Carlo says, I don't think we're after the same thing. I'd prefer to stay alive. You tried to kill me. Walston says, A mistake on my part. Anthony stands, Fucking A, it was a mistake. Pop, let me cut this fuck's head off right now. The bodyguard turns to Anthony. Carlos says, Sit down, Anthony. Excuse my son, he loves his father very much. Walston says, I can see that. Let me put it in terms we can all appreciate. I'm prepared to offer you $100 million to back away from the Huatla Cavern Project. Carlos says, My understanding is that it's worth a billion, maybe more. Walston says, To me, maybe someone with the resources to realize the assets. I have the technology and the equipment to develop it. It would take you years to get that underway. Once again, Ralston, you underestimate me. Three weeks ago, if you would have come to me with this proposal, we could have sat down like businessmen and negotiated a mutually beneficial agreement. Now it's not about money. It's about you coming into my home and shooting me, leaving me for my family to find. Do you understand the horror you've created for my family? Walston says, Carlo, it was business. You understand that. Carlos says, and so is this. Get the fuck out of here. Walston says, you know I own Wells. Carlos says, you can have him. Now, get out of here. Anthony stands up. Get the fuck out. 
After the bodyguard and Walston leave, Anthony turns to Carlo. Anthony says, Pop? A hundred million. Carlo stares at him. Anthony runs out after Walston. Outside the mansion, Walston climbs into the limo just as the bodyguard climbs into the driver's seat. Anthony walks to the car and Walston rolls down the window. Walston says, One hundred million, Anthony. You won't live forever. That's a nice start for a smart young man. Anthony says, Get out of here. Anthony watches the car leave. Back in the library, Anthony enters and Carlo's on the phone. Carlo says, When? How many? When did they leave? How long to get there? Yes. Very valuable. We'll take care of you, Captain. You have my word on that. Thank you. Hanging up, he looks to Anthony. Carlo says, You're going to Mexico. Anthony says, When? Carlo says, Now. Anthony says, Pop, I think we should consider Carlo. Anthony, it's over. Anthony leaves the room. Inside the mansion later, Anthony's leaning against the library door. He's thinking. He looks down at the gun in his holster. Decidedly, he pulls it out and goes back in the library. In the jungle, a line of three jeeps bounce along a muddy road. The shooter rides in the second jeep of the column. The first jeep gets stuck in the mud. A policeman from one of the other jeeps gets out to help. In a flash, they're surrounded by a native-looking people. The curandero steps forward. Shooter says, What the fuck is this? The policeman says, Sacred ground. We have to get the blessing of the curandero to continue. The shooter says, Bullshit. Get this fucking jeep out of here. The policeman says, They won't go, senor. They're afraid. The shooter says, They should be. If they don't move, I'll start killing them myself. The policeman says, They're not afraid of you. You can only kill their bodies. The curandero will curse their souls. The shooter says, Ah, shit. Okay, let's get this over with. The shooter and the policeman go into the jungle with the natives. As they disappear into the jungle, a small car carrying two men swerve past the stuck jeeps and speed on down the road. Later, in a native Mexican village, the curandero sits at the edge of a large fire. The policemen are quiet as the shooter steps up. The shooter says, So what do you want? The curandero says, A testament to your reverence of these lands. The shooter says, You speak English? Curandero, Yes, necessary to communicate with invaders. Shooter says, We're not here for your land. We're here to find some people. Curandero says, These people are harmful? They can be, the shooter says. And you're not, the Curandero says. Can we have your permission, says the shooter. And what if we don't give it, says the Curandero. The shooter says, we have a job. Permission is not mine to offer, says the Curandero. I'm here as a gatekeeper. I offer only prayers. Can we have a couple? says the shooter. The curandero says, These lands are governed by the souls of the dead. They will tell me who is worthy. In the jungle, a small car skids to a stop and the passenger climbs out. We're too far away to tell exactly who he is. The driver pulls out a bunch of gear, throws it on the ground, climbs back into the car and speeds away. 
Picking up his gear, the passenger opens a map and looks around before heading into the jungle. Back on the floor of the cave, Sam and Lenny wake up on the beach. Sam says, you okay? Lenny says, I don't know. Can you move, says Sam? Yeah, where are we? Bottom, I think, says Sam. Where's the plane, says Lenny. Either underwater or we came down a different hatch. What do we do now? Sam says, we're here. We might as well look around. Sam hands a headlamp to Lenny. Lenny takes the headlamp. How are we going to get out of here? Sam's looking up. Not the way we came. Lenny falls down an incline toward the water. Lenny screams, Ah! Sam goes after her. He's landed on something. Sam says, You okay? I hit something. Sam digs around to discover the top of a diver's oxygen tank. Lenny says, What is it? Scuba gear. Sam digs further and finds the skeleton of a man attached to the tank. Sam says, Guess he ran out. Oh, Jesus, says Lenny. Sam's pointing. He was going in this direction. Maybe he left something behind. Sam moves to the wall of the cave and feels around, led only by the hole of light from his headlamp. Find something. Kerchunk. The sound of a large switch being thrown reverberates through the place. The entire cavern illuminates with light. There are even lights under the deep blue water of the lake. Across the lake are several jet skis and scuba gear stationed at a dock. This is incredible. What's it all for? Sam says, exploration. Lenny says, for what? Sam says, same thing we're looking for. Looking at the two jet skis, he says, let's take a ride. The jet skis have property of Rainier stenciled on the side. Lenny points, you see this? Sam nods. They each get on a jet ski and set off across the lake through a small tunnel leading out into the main cavern. The main cavern is enormous. Sam and Lenny race jet skis through these waterways, fast stunt action sequences of shots of them speeding by in and out of small waterways into major water systems. Coming out of one waterway, there's a fork in the tunnel system. Sam and Lenny bore through the tunnel that suggests daylight at the end. The water dries up and the jet skis run aground. Sam and Lenny dismount their jet skis and walk toward the light. At the end of the tunnel, they find themselves at the edge of a large porthole, 2,000 feet above the jungle floor. Whoa, Lenny says. I hope you don't walk in your sleep, says Sam. Outside in the jungle, leading the two other jeeps, the shooter stands in his speeding jeep like General Patton leading tanks into battle. He motions for the jeeps to separate, one to the left, the other to the right. Seconds after one jeep has left the dirt road, it's swallowed by the earth. The two other jeeps immediately halt and drive to where the jeep had disappeared. The shooter gets out and looks down into the hole. The third jeep fires up, turns, and speeds away. The shooter pulls his gun and shoots at the fleeing jeep, killing the driver. The jeep slams head-on into a tree. The shooter, looking back at his jeep, asks, Any questions? Thank you for listening to Part 3 of Devil's Domain. I hope you'll subscribe to High Adventure Podcast and check back soon for Part 4 and for our next episode of Trip Report. And as always, we'll see you at the nadir. I'm just like my old man, he told me so. Lying on his deathbed watching.